0: This is Deion Dawkins, man. You're listening to The Scoop on Owlscoop.com. You already know. Hi,
1: everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, Owlscoop.com's podcast, season seven, episode 32. I'm John DeCarlo, the editor of the site, joined once again by Kyle Klaus, who is cringing at my at my at my opening. What an intro! <laughs> really got everybody's juices flowing. Yeah. I am the editor yeah. of the outlet. Dante Dante Colonelli Caden Steele, with us again. I don't know, Dante. Should I start using my? My depression era radio voice for something like that. Oh, I think you
2: should. It's it's my favorite John voice. It, it might be the only John voice, but it's my favorite John voice. <laughs>
1: well, uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll blend it in a little bit later today. But... It is not the only John voice. <laughs> it is not
2: the only John. Voice. It is the only John voice that I hear multiple times a week. John and I spend a lot of time together in the office, and and John is always that's his go to voice right now. I feel I do like. other
1: I do other impressions. I don't want to be just pigeonholing to one, but you know. It's big. Barry Gibb. I do a Barry Gibb impersonation. You do a
3: Jimmy Fallon as Barry Gibb impersonation.
1: I do. I, do. I don't know how I would blend that in today, but you know, good. It's all Kaden, deadly. Caden, do you know who Barry Gibb is?
4: Never heard of that name, and couldn't tell you anything about <laughs> it. <him.
1: laughs> the member of uh, member of the Bee Gees. Do you know who the Bee Gees are?
4: Who's the Bee Gees? The Bee Gees. Oh no, Caden. Stay that. Oh, the band. Yes, yes. I know the song. I know Stan alive. Okay. Thanks. All right. all right.
1: All right. That was some some common, some common ground there. Anyway, the Bee Gees have nothing to do with Temple Sports as far as I know, but I guess you, you don't want to rule anything out. But we do have a lot to, to bring to you guys today, uh, a lot more in the way of spring football coverage, uh, some good stuff from Anton Smith, Temple's defensive line coach. Dante and, and Kaden were part of the group of reporters that, that, that talked to him earlier this week. Uh, I understand he was very lively. Um, got some recruiting stuff for you guys uh, a, a transfer portal commitment from Ian Stewart from Michigan State. Uh, Caden's got a, a story from Nate Johnson, a wide receiver from Clearwater High School from the 23 class, who's got a Temple offer. And uh, Temple did get a commitment from Jacob Porter from North Allegheny High School out in Pittsburgh. He previously committed to Yale. So we'll be talking about that. Got some mailbag questions. We have some women's basketball news to bring to you uh, with the hire of Diane Richardson from Towson. Uh, we'll touch a little briefly on, on LaSalle hiring Fran Dumphy. So pretty, pretty packed episode to get to here. We will start with, uh, I don't know. I mean, do we want to... Famous
3: number 32s. We're, We're skipping 30s. over this. We've
1: got... It's, this is an easy one. You put this, this, on, on, you put this on the script. I was going to go to it. I was going to go to it. Get, you're, you're, number, 30, number thirty-two. There are a ton. First one that jumps out
2: to you.
3: I know what you're going to say, Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Mine. I think OJ
2: jumps. Oh, I honestly didn't even think about that. That's the only I'm going to be honest. That is not the first thing that I associate with OJ Simpson. <laughs> it's, his, it's his
1: blossoming social media career.
2: You guys yeah, <laughs> obviously,
3: obviously.
1: The only one in this. The only one on this podcast who was alive during his, uh, his chase famous chase
3: i was very much alive during that no <laughs> <thought> you weren't <laughs> i was like six years old yeah you're, that's com- you're absolutely right i completely miscalculate sure was it was that. 96 or 94? 90... 94 90 94 yeah i was I was five okay yeah i was the negative yes, I... five aiden was just a twinkle in somebody's eye somewhere <laughs> the most the mo- the most important 32 of them all benny walls franklin Delano roosevelt <laughs> the 32nd (laughs) president of these united states
1: you're saying frank i thought you were gonna say frank o'harris
3: so frank O'Hara, i think i've told you this before up until like a year ago i thought frank o'harris was frank o'harris i thought his last name was o'harris i thought he was just like some irish Uh, running back out there really dante's come i think dante's having that same realization
2: I Okay, I knew who, really? who Franco Harris was. I did not think he was an Irish running back, but I also <laughs> thought that his name was spelled O'Harris. Frank O'Harris. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no I've never, Franco. I've never seen it written. I've only it's seen it catch. I've never seen I can just
1: written. hear the NFL Films music just blaring in the background because they're so proud of this of this moment, this cringeworthy moment oh in football talk God. right now. I went in the first 30,
3: 31 years of my life. So the fact that we cut you off, you know, 10 years before that, Dante, you're ahead. I appreciate
2: it. I thank you for taking one for the team,
3: Kyle. I appreciate (laughs) that. I just imagined like, like a very like stereotypical, like
1: redheaded Irish guy, just (laughs) running between the two. Nope. Nope. Here we are. Oh Uh, man. Played at at Penn state, played for the Steelers, hall of fame, running back, local guy. Ranko. Is
2: from? Okay. RV
1: guy. Cocos Valley from South Jersey. Yo, who else went to Grand Cocos Valley? Sean Bradley and Eric Lofton, Iverson Clement, Iverson Clement, who appears to be uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. To, appears to be in the in the mix a little bit at uh, at running back. Caden, any Sean Bradley, who was at practice on Saturday, he was famous number 32. Does anyone jump out to you, Caden?
4: I can remember like random Philadelphia guys, famous 32s. Chris Polk, the running back from Washington, they put wow, the Eagles. I play. love it, I Ooh, love that's a it. deep
2: cut. I love Chris, it,
4: Chris Polk. Ricky Waters, when he yes. was 32. Steve Carlton. There we go. The first, he wore 32.
3: Not really random with that one, but yeah. yeah that's, not, that's
4: not random. Yeah, that's a better one. <laughs> Shaq, obviously, if you want to go to basketball. 32. Shaq, when he was
3: with the Suns, though. Uh, he was
4: 34
3: uh, with the Lakers, I think. No, I
2: thought he was 30. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. You're correct. Yeah, I think Shaq yes. was 34 with the Lakers. Yeah. Okay. Uh Magic Johnson was 32 with Lakers. Yes, he was. He was. We did not say that one. I feel like we got to throw that out there. Look Jason, Kidd, Jason kid with the Suns. No famous
1: Philadelphia athlete wore Number 32 before he wore his number. Yes. Cause hey, makes... hmm. six. sixers hat today with the, with a flat brim.
3: It's so like, it's I get, I'm going to the point where like, even when I try to curve them a little bit, cause I used to like, like the nineties and two thousands get like real curves. They, they're designed to be flat brims. So they go back.
1: Yeah.
3: Like it's not the same type of hat as it was back then.
1: Yeah.
3: I also haven't showered yet today. I, I normally work out before the scoop and then shower, and then I don't have to wear a hat. I haven't showered yet today. I was in a meeting, so we're a hat guy. Hat
1: guy <laughs> Chris Paul, what a that's that's the that's the the gem of the pod right now. Early early on, it's good, it's good, good stuff out of you, Kaden. Who so was the running back wide receiver they had from like Air Force? Oh, was it uh, Chad Mahe. Hall? Chad Hall, got, Mahe?
3: I no, think
1: it's Chad of Hall. I think no, Chad Hall. It was
3: BYU. Chad Hall. Chad Hall the way kyle's mind works the first thing that i remember about chad hall is i remember like vividly in like 2008 or 2010 or something some chick uh like picked him up at finnegan's wake went home with him and then posted photos on the internet of like him like sprawled out in the bed like <laughs> like it was just some random girl from the street took him home took photos and posted them on the internet and i was like wow people are trying to get in like chad hall's business here <laughs> Continuing to push the envelope every week on the show. No, let's talk about this real quick. If you cut any more of my shit, (laughs) we had such like a granola cookie cutter episode yes last week because of the crap that was left on the editor's floor. The editor isn't here right now, so because he'll just blindly follow whatever John tells him to do or whatever. (laughs) Cut out this segment. Cut out that. I don't like it. You took away the soul of last week's episode. Soul.
2: The soul was was porn references, Kyle. No, that, whoa, uh, whoa, 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 whoa,
3: whoa, <laughs> that whoa. That was not what was, what was referenced.
2: That's what was
3: I, implied. I referenced because you grew up in a different generation than me. You didn't have early 2000s wrestling. or You had access to the internet. You had different things going on in your world. That's all I said. You inferred it from there on out. Please, please stop don't, it. please you don't drag me down, me down, down the that road. Please so, don't drag me you, down the mud. Are
2: you familiar with the term gaslighting?
3: Please don't drag me into whatever you guys <laughs> yeah. have going.
2: Kyle, on. Kyle is, <laughs> Kyle is gaslighting us right now. This is this is outrageous. With a fresh propane tank. Yes. yes. Yeah. We're gonna cut please, this out too.
3: Please don't drag me down to your. Line. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, anyway, you guys were excited this week because you got some good stuff. From Antoine Smith you guys came back from the press conference with with smiles on your faces you were like he was he was a quote machine um and he was so let's 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 talk about that and we'll we'll talk a little bit about Saturday spring game uh coming up but again Antoine Smith available this week Tuesday's media availability Temple's defensive line coach came from Colorado State um, if you read the story on our site a lot of excerpts from that, from that, uh, from that conversation. Um, got some, some stuff to, to get into here, but, uh, i Dante, I'll start with you first, like, cause he has this anecdote where he talked about the first time he met Stan Drayton at the, at the Ginn Academy, the 10 Ginn Academy and Ted Ginn senior started this school. He was the father of Ten, Ted Ginn Jr. Who played for who Dante?
2: Ted Ginn Jr. Played for, like the Saints, the Panthers. He was on the Dolphins for a while. Miami Dolphins. That's why I was. Yeah. For. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought. Yeah, I was just gonna run through all the all the names, yeah. but yeah, real okay. quick. Ted, get
3: real quick. You saying Ted Ginn Sr., the father of Ted Ginn Jr., was underrated? Like, oh, as opposed to
1: <laughs> you never know. There could be you don't want to. I mean, we we are a we are a, a show and a podcast that verifies everything for the most part. So you don't know there could be a couple of Ted Ginn's out there. We don't we don't know these things anyway. Dante, tell give us a, a little bit of that anecdote. We've got some some audio a little bit later in the conversation here, but he t- he talked, I mean, pretty much everything that came out of his mouth was was pretty insightful and a good sound bite, and he was entertaining. And at, during a spring where it's been a lot of Stan Drayton. we're not getting players. We'll talk about that in a little bit, not even at the spring game on Saturday. But tell us a little bit about that about that story.
2: Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, something that we've tried to do since we've got the coordinators, just kind of ask them, like, how did you meet Stan Drayton, right? Because none of these people have really worked together. A lot of them have connections to like Everett Withers, uh, the chief of staff. Some of them have like connections to connections of people. That's what we've heard from uh, Danny Langsdorf and DJI. They said, well, we kind of knew people who knew people. Um, But Antoine actually said, he said, I remember this very vividly. He went to a uh, kind of like a a recruiting camp at uh, the Ted Ginn School in Cleveland, Ohio. And it was 2006, it was pouring rain. And Antoine Smith said, me and Stan Drayton were the only two knuckleheads standing out there watching this practice. And he said, like, that left an impression of me because most people don't do what I do, is what he said. And and that's how I knew that Stan was going to be a special guy. He was at a, I, I believe that's when, uh, I forget where Stan was in 2006 off the top of my head, but Antoine mentioned it was a big-time program. Right? Florida. Where was it? Florida? Yeah, so there you go, right. So Antoine said it was it was a big-time program, right? And he, he thought, it struck him as like, okay, here's this guy from this big time program who like definitely does not need to be standing out in the pouring rain right now, standing out in the pouring rain, trying to scout these players. And and he called them two knuckleheads. So I thought that was, that was really interesting. He said, they maybe spoke for like five minutes tops. It was like not a long conversation, but Antoine said that that stuck with him. Right. And then when Stan did get in contact with him for this opportunity, that was something he remembered, like, all right, you know, like I know that this guy has the right the right mindset, you know, the same kind of mindset that I do. And that's why I'm confident that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take this opportunity to come to temple. Um, yeah. I mean, he was a quote machine Antoine Smith. I mean, he really was just everything. He said, I mean, whether it was like, you know, really a lot of substance behind it or not is to be determined, but as far as good sound bites goes, I mean, everything that he said was, was either objectively funny or like, you know, just really, you know, I don't know, like almost like that Jeff Collins, you know, dress showmanship type stuff that you saw from him so it was it was a really interesting conversation but i thought that was probably the coolest anecdote that we we got that he remembered that conversation from so long ago
1: one of the other things that cracked me up uh, among others is that uh, he, he really pulled no punches and he uh I, one of you guys i think it asked him just a basic question about like what he's working with and where that like ground zero foundation is or was and he he said that's that's private information but then he went on to really I guess he said this private information then he really went on to say like uh I'm basically building these guys from the ground up again and I wanted to have you guys weigh in on that too because he was pretty you know again I don't know if that's window dressing if he's just excited to talk reporters but
2: basically talked about like well I have to reteach them fundamentals and stuff like that right yeah, it was, it was super weird because I asked him, I was like, you know, because he said the ground zero thing to somebody else's question. I followed, I followed up and I was like, what does that mean? How do you get these guys up from ground, you know, from ground zero as he kept calling it. And he was just like, well, it's personal information. What I did find funny about it was that we asked him later in the press conference and I'll, I'll let Caden jump in after this. We asked him, all right, where do you feel like this group is in relation to your colorado state groups and he was like well we finished in the the top 10 in sacks the past two years and i actually think this group is is two weeks ahead of that group and it's like very confusing because he spent the first part of the press conference you know crapping on the last coaching staff and their ability to install fundamentals which it really like that's what he said he was like i like i'm dealing with guys who have not been coached before if you boil down that's pretty much what he said to I think these guys are ahead of a, a top 10 group in the country in sacks the past two years, right? So it was very, a very weird dichotomy. I don't I don't know if you felt the same, Caden, but it was it was odd.
4: It was odd, definitely. I kind of agree with you, Dante, where I couldn't pick up whether the defensive line group is still struggling or they're doing you know pretty good at practice. He never really clarified, but like Dante said, it seemed like he almost took like a subtle shot A former defensive line coach Walter Storr saying, like, these guys are raw, they have no technique. I had to coach him up, but he was, you know, he did get into how they're, you know, they're growing and improving, but it seemed, like Dante said, like a shot at the coaching staff, but seemed like at times he got very energetic, and sometimes he wasn't sure what he was saying. He was just saying it just to say it because he was going really fast. He seemed excited. So, like, like Dante said, very inconsistent on what that means for the defensive
2: line. I don't know if it was a subtle shot. It was, like, a very overt shot, in my opinion. Like, it was, like, a very, like – these dudes were not coached and I'm, I'm coaching them now. Right. Like that, that's kind of the, the impression that I got. Uh, but he is a very passionate guy. He, he loves that position group. I, I think more than I've ever seen a coach, you know, love a position group, frankly. So it was, it was very odd. I don't, it's hard to get a grasp on a lot of it too, because when we talked to Stan Drayton and DJ Elliott, they kind of picked out the defensive line group as like a group that, you know, obviously they've been very, not they're not going to crown anyone but they you know they've talked generally positive about those guys in that group as i have a lot of energy they're making good plays in the backfield it was kind of dj's thing stan picked out you know zach gill specifically early in spring practices as someone who was standing out um and then you know to hear antoine smith just be like you know even, even about zach gill right because i asked him about zach gill and he was like well you know he's super rusty he hasn't played in two years so i'm like kind of teaching him how to play football again and i was like all right man like i don't i don't know so it was, it was interesting but We'll see. They Walter, they have not created a lot of pressure recently. You think uh, Walter Stewart, loyal,
1: loyal scoop listener, sitting in his office at Cincinnati, is hanging out with Luke Fickle and saying, uh, "Listen, this guy, you shouldn't hire me." He just got moved back to the defensive line too. Yeah,
2: yeah,
3: he, he was coaching linebackers, but they just shuffled their staff around.
1: Yeah, well, this 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 clip that we're gonna play for you here in a second. There's a, a you know, maybe about. Uh, a few minutes of audio here. So Caden had asked him about his expectations for the for the spring game and you'll hear him. Again, I, this is another sound buddy I enjoyed. He's like, yeah, we're looking for TFLs and sacks and everything else pretty much doesn't matter. And then that kind of spun into another thing where he's talking about recruiting and Dante you had asked him uh, about that. So we're gonna play this this uh, this clip for you. here. It's about a few minutes and it kind of just gives you a sense of uh, some of what we're talking about from
4: Tuesday's media availability. You mentioned Zach, you know, emerging as a leader in the room. Is there anyone else inside the defensive line room is kind of kind out of there with Zach also, you know, as a leader, kind of emerging? I'll tell you that
0: after the spring game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's your expectations out of you unit know, from the spring game? What are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for guys to play in the backfield until coach blows the final whistle. TFLs and sacks. We don't grade assist, assist tackles in our room. We don't grade tackles in our room. We grade TFLs and sacks. That's it. If you don't make plays behind the line of scrimmage, you you have no worth and no value for the defense.
2: You mentioned the nose tackle position. Could you just kind of talk about how important that is in this specific scheme to kind of have a, a very solid player there?
0: Yeah, the nose tackle position is critical because that guy is always eating up two players. One player, we get two for one there. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's also important because the nose tackle is the centerpiece of the defense. Out of hey, Listen, I know Coach is an offensive guy. They're going to talk about the quarterback. I will as long as I coach I'll never see it that way. The number one player on the roster is the nose tackle. Because if you can't stop anyone, it doesn't matter how good your quarterback is. It doesn't matter. The nose tackle is the centerpiece of the entire program. That's where the game starts and that's where the game ends.
2: When you're when you're out there recruiting looking for guys who I mean you're talking about two gapping, right? So, you know, how do you kind of I don't know, look for those traits and recruits. What specifically stands out to you? And you go, all right, You know that's the guy I think I can develop into that That nose tackle.
0: Uh, I actually don't do that. Mm-hmm. I actually say you have to come to camp. <laughs> I don't take a defensive lineman. I never have who doesn't come to camp. I will never buy a car that I don't test drive. <laughs> I will never buy a home that hasn't been inspected. goes the same thing for my players. I need to know what their threshold is, what they can handle before I go into the green light on.
2: So when they do come to camp, yep. what are you looking for when they get here?
0: See if they can handle Coach Smith for 60 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> How would you describe Coach Smith for 60 minutes? I just said the Wild Boys. Not <laughs> not uh, I, you know, I'm, I have a lot of energy, you know. Uh, when I get outside on practice, I need a lot of support with other staff members because I get I go in such a zone because I have so much fun. Being with the D line, I mean they're my world now. I mean, I, I it, it's, it's, it's chaos, it's wild. There's a lot of energy, but there's a lot of dancing. Okay, we have a good time, you know. But there's a job that got that's got to be done. And again, that every program is going to start with the defensive line. When the defensive line plays well, the crowd is cheering, the fans are happy, the music <laughs> is playing, and and life's good. So. You know, with us, uh, that's how we run a practice. We ne- we're always the same every day. Every day, walkthrough, game, practice, always the same.
1: So I, I enjoyed this. I mean, as much as we're as much as we're kind of like, you know, having fun with like his 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 tone and all that stuff. Um, talked about the 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 nose tackle position. Oh, uh, I want to talk the, about that real quick.
2: Yeah.
3: In the span of about ninety seconds, the same man said these two things tfls and sacks that's it if you don't make plays behind the line of scrimmage you have no worth and no value to the defense and the number one player on the roster is a nose tackle because if you can't stop anybody it doesn't matter how good your quarterback is the nose tackle is the centerpiece of the entire program <laughs> Nose tackles a lot of times are not getting tfls and sacks
2: well and yeah. what's even funnier about it is when i asked him to expand on that the nose tackle that he described to me was not like like Vita Vea on the Buccaneers, right? Just no, like running it. through people in the backfield. He described like a two gapper Two-gap block blocks. eater. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which is like not getting like you. Were, I, I mean, I guess it's like, all right, well, I need that guy so everyone else can get TFLs, yeah, right? Like I'm, that, I'm that, that's what I imagine. Yeah.
1: I would have to reasonably yes. assume that's what he means. Those guy, that guy's occupying two blockers so your other guys can get in the backfield. But yeah, it was, I mean, look. Uh, this sounds like the standard John Carlo disclaimer, probably a really nice guy enjoyed the session, enjoyed the audio, but it yeah, it, it was pretty funny.
2: Yeah. Sure. And then the, I, he, he is a guy after my own heart though. Cause I also love nose tackles. So, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to chalk it up to, he's just trying to, you know, sweeten the pot.
1: And I, again, I think that we, we maybe knew this about the staff. I mean, the camp camp season isn't here yet. That I'll uh, assume we'll start at some point in May, but the previous staff for a couple of different reasons. I mean, COVID obviously affected them, but there weren't quite as many camps uh, offered as, as the that the previous staff did. But we we know that especially, I mean, every every staff in America does them, but Temple really, really benefits uh, from these camps. That's where they evaluate guys, that's where they really, you know, can find guys that they say, these are developmental players, we're not going to get four and five star guys, so on and so forth. But I, I did think it was interesting to hear Antoine Smith talk about the fact that like, I don't, you know, I, I want to see a guy. I want to see a guy. We have to see a guy before we offer him. What do you say? I'm not going to I'm not gonna buy a house done an inspection. I'm not going to buy a car before I test drive. And, and you're not getting a house in this market. No, you're <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> the crazy market out there. Uh, people are skipping home inspections. Kyle's personal uh, real estate tip. You want to get a house that badly?
3: I got it right before this bubble.
1: Didn't have to skip anything. Yes, be not, lucky is my only and not, not lucky home <laughs> um, inspection. But yeah, I mean I, I thought that was another noteworthy part of it. Again, you know I, I'm sure you know they'll, they'll get guys like like someone out of the transfer portal who they don't bring in through uh, through a camp or something like that. but for the most part that seems to be something that this staff is is really after once again. So um, it, we can, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. We're supposed to get Chris Weezahan tomorrow morning, right guys? Um, yeah. So Chris Wiesehan tomorrow morning. And then we'll, we'll talk briefly about you know the, the spring game Saturday, the Ther- cherry white spring game Saturday at 3 PM. Um, again, unless things change, we're not getting, we're not getting players. We've talked about this before. It, it seems like like Stan Drayton is being very procedural with this in terms of whatever um, he's trying to build. I mean, he talks about building culture, uh, you know, getting back to where this program was before. And I guess part of part of that might mean, like, I don't know, I'm really not going to put guys out in front of uh, the media for, for spring ball. So we aren't going to be able to bring you the voices of players on Saturday. Uh, we'll bring as much content as we can on Saturday. And, again, I asked this question lightly because we only know there's – we know there's only so much that we can take from the spring game. But they are, what, 12, almost 13 practices in? right now at yeah. point um again we've talked about this before you could you could reasonably say that that pretty much every position battle uh every position group has has jobs that are up for grabs what, what are you guys looking for for saturday what are you what are you looking to see from the game knowing that a lot of it is probably going to be some vanilla stuff they're not going to be showing us what they're going to be running in august september and so on and so forth but, but what are you guys going to be locked in on uh when you're at the game saturday
5: go
4: uh, I think the thing I'm going to look at is, you know, obviously, like you said, we might not see the whole playbook or a lot of the different things that they might do in the regular season. But what would Danny Lingsworth's offense look like? And how does, you know, Dewan Mathis look after year two back at Temple, new coaching staff? Does he look crisp in the spring game? Does he look rusty? I think... No, uh, You know, it is a spring game that Dewan you know, should look pretty good, and if there's any inconsistency, maybe they'll erase them all on. But, yeah, I'm interested in seeing the quarterbacks and seeing who's that, maybe that second guy, you know, taking the reps, whether that's Valenti, Matt Duncan, anyone, because they don't really seem to have that, you know, next guy to push Dewan, but, you know, see so how those quarterbacks unfold with, you know, Lingsworth's system.
2: Yeah, a couple of the ones for me, I've been, like, subtly tracking the offensive line. We So what happens is is they – they walk when we go to spring practice oh, now. The, the, the practice
1: spring us into into to the things. That you yeah,
2: see. yeah. So what happens is is as we show up to EO, the gate's usually open. We have to like walk uh, all the way across, like down the field, to a like very small hallway where we do these press availabilities. And you can like kind of see practice from the window. Um, and I have figured out when team period starts and when they blow the horn for the ones. Um, And I have been able to peer out the window and try and track who has been on the starting offensive line uh, the past three practices. Um, So I'll be interested to see who they roll out there. Uh, Obviously we're going to talk to Chris Wiesahan tomorrow too. So I'd like, you know, maybe he'll give some, some minor things away, but obviously um, they have been shuffling that unit a ton in just the three times that I've been able to like sit there and write numbers down. Uh, so I, that'll be very interesting. I think running back's is going to be interesting too, just to see like who trots out there with the first team, obviously it doesn't really mean a ton, but, uh, the only two running backs I've seen take first team reps in the very brief, brief, brief parts of practices that we've seen. I want to preface that are Devon, Devon Hubbard and Iverson Clement. I have not seen anyone else take first team reps. We've been told that Edward Sadie has also taken first team reps. I have not seen that. I obviously, I don't think they're lying to us, but it'll be interesting to see who comes out. Uh, in the first team there. And then, like, defensively, like, I I don't know. I think they'll show us a lot of what their base defense is going to look like in this spring game, right? Like, they're probably installed, like, their cover three looks and different things like that. So I'll be looking to see that, just, like, how much zone they play versus how much man they play, stuff like that. Um, I think they've already installed, and they'll expect those guys to know for that spring game. I don't think we'll see, like, a ton of complicated blitzes or maybe we won't see any of the simulated pressures that DJ Elliott was, you know, kind of – I don't know. I don't want to say famous for because that's not really the right word. He runs that a lot of Kansas. So, um, you know, I I'll be interested to see that on the defensive side of the ball. And then like offensive personnel, because I just think that's the that's the side of the ball where I think there's a lot less fluidity. I feel like I have a somewhat decent idea of who's going to be in the starting mix on defense versus offense right now. Um, so I think that'll be the most the most interesting thing for me.
3: Real quick, there is a non zero chance of the next that like tomorrow morning. Dante goes and there's just like construction paper on the window
2: (laughs)
6: because
3: he he has admitted how he's just peeking things in. Um, To kind of go off what Caden said, I'm really interested in how Mariano Valente looks. Um, I I think this is kind of a a big spring for him. Obviously, it was a big spring for him. It's his fourth year in college football. I understand they're probably not going to roll out the full offensive playbook, and this is exactly what we want to look like against Duke. But he should look comfortable in whatever they do decide to run. Um, just because he's an older guy at this point, who, who's played with live bullets and against navies, so he's played some legitimate time. Uh, I I don't think Juan Mathis has run away with any quarterback competition, so I'm curious to see if Mario Melente is truly pushing him, or if they do have to go uh, to the portal and try to bring somebody in. Because, yeah, I mean, he's from everything you're hearing, it seems like he's he's done a pretty good job of at least separating himself, maybe from the Matt Duncans of the world. Um, but I'll be curious to see that step.
1: I'm I'm interested to see again whatever we can see how the linebackers are being used. You know, in a a really dreary, depressing three and nine season where you know they closed out the closed out the season with with nothing but losses after being Memphis. You would see some flashes from the young linebackers. Granted, they had a ton of tackles to make, and somebody had to make them. But um, you know how you know, how's Kobe Wilson being used? How's Vandy Rigby being used? I I think earlier this spring, right. Didn't Stan wasn't, I don't, I can't remember who asked him about Rigby and, and I didn't stand say something like some plays it looks really good. And then some plays it looks like he's, you know, he looks like a heck of a player. Some plays it looks like he's still kind of processing. So, you know, who is that overhang type of, you know, Bubo guy, I guess, can we, I guess we're retiring the term Bubo or,
2: the new staff has definitely retired it i dj elliot gave me a face when i used it so they they are they are definitely out of it all right Uh, so
1: we said at the outset of the show that we have some recruiting updates for you guys so um dante you talked to ian stewart a couple nights ago right the the michigan state transfer uh that story again if you are not If you're not an OwlScoop.com subscriber, now's a good time to sign up. We'll have, again, spring coverage this weekend, spring football coverage this weekend, ongoing recruiting coverage uh, from Caden. Uh, But tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, teach your story here about Ian Stewart and what you, you know, what you got from him and what what, uh, Temple fans can expect from him.
2: Yeah, I don't want to give away too much, but, uh, you know, he's a, a really – he's a well-spoken kid. Uh, he brings a skill set to this team that I think they've been missing since Brandon Mack left. Uh, they really haven't had that big, tall, outside X receiver who can go up and make a play and double coverage down the field. That's the type of skill set you're hoping to get out of him. Um, former three-star recruit, has experience playing quarterback, linebacker, so he's a smart kid. Um, you know, I think that he – I think the biggest takeaway from him was probably like how much he likes this staff. And obviously you hear that from every recruit who says they're going to commit, but I honestly felt like it was significantly more genuine than some of the other recruits I've talked to in the past year or so. Uh, he seems like really, just really, really excited to get to Philadelphia. He said, he's going to get here in the summer. And he like, seems really, really excited about being coached by Jafar Williams, and Like he really, like he he lit up his voice. Got, you know really you know, a little bit louder like he was like really really excited about it so i think those would be the big takeaways um he was a little league teammate with somebody on temple's team as well there's your teaser um everyone should know who it is it's not a hard one but there you go you should subscribe and read it it's a good story make it we should say mark Makin. mark make <laughs> also from the John
3: Trice coached them.
1: If there is anybody who can travel back in time, I would I would uh put my odds on Mark making to to figure it out. Uh you're traveling forward in time.
3: Right? Because exactly. it would be like young Mark making traveling. Yeah. To, good, yeah foreign, to go good point. Well,
1: Doc yeah. Brown at the flux capacitor could could handle that too. I'm sad that yeah. Sam's not not here for that. Um and then um another recruiting piece to touch on here Caden Steele talked to Nate Johnson a wide receiver from Florida's Clearwater Central Catholic High School um uh, again Caden you just want to touch touch on this briefly uh a guy that, that picked up a Temple offer about back at the end of of February there's a you know there's a there's a connection there with another Clearwater Florida product but another guy that's in the mix here again Temple's still looking for their first verbal commitment from the 2023 class but you want to tell us a little bit about what you and Nate Johnson
4: talked about yeah, Nate Johnson uh, got the offer, like you said, back in February. He's an interesting prospect in the fact that he's being recruited at wide receiver and defensive back. He's got the majority of his offers, he said, at wide receiver, but some schools are off, are offering him, you know, at defensive back, at a I think cornerback. Uh, he does have a connection to safety's coach Marvin Klesidor, if that's how you say it, is it Klesidor? Klesidor. Uh, it's Klesidor. Klesidor. Yeah. Close, yeah. Yeah. McLester offered him at Western Michigan when he was there as the as the cornerbacks coach. So he does have that connection. And like you mentioned, John uh, London Hall was his teammate at Clearwater Central Catholic. Uh, they played together in high school, so he has that connection. He's talked to London about his experience and why he committed to Temple. But you know, over the last you know month or so, his recruiting you know cycle has been picking up. He's gotten offers in Wisconsin, Pittsburgh, and Washington State. Uh, so a lot of different offers at wide receiver and cornerback. He's got about 15 offers overall, and uh, it seems like he told me the other day on Twitter, I reached back out to him, you know, if he plans on going to an official visit with Temple this summer because he talked to me that he had a lot of, you know, official visits in June, planned on making a decision after then, that he planned on reaching out to uh, Temple's coaching staff to potentially set something up.
1: And then we also, uh, what was that, Sunday, that Jacob Porter from North Allegheny High School committed. He previously committed to Yale, and Temple have been recruiting him for a while and a scholarship, had opened up there. So um, that's a 2022 class of 2022 player. So um, haven't had the chance to, to talk to him yet. Obviously comes from a big football family. Uh, his father played for the Steelers, his older brother uh, being drafted this year, right? Or should be drafted. No,
2: he's going back to Penn State for another year.
1: Did I think it was he ever, was that ever on the table? Why am I saying that? Was he thinking of, is he that he,
2: he had a second round grade from the NFL in the summer, uh, but he decided to go back to Penn state and he had a kind of, I'm going to go with average year. So we'll see where that comes through okay so jacob
1: is a, is a defensive end edge guy about six three two ten at nine sacks as a senior again north allegheny high school is in the, in the pittsburgh suburbs so uh a couple of of recruiting pieces of information there again stay tuned to the site we'll have more information information for you in the coming weeks uh do you have some football mailbag questions to get to here and uh uh and then we'll we'll touch briefly on the you know, Fran Dunphy hopping over to LaSalle to become their head coach. That's a whole interesting conversation there. But before we get to that, uh, a couple of football mailbag questions here. These are from the OwlScoop.com message boards. The first one from GL and PA is the screen name. Uh, the question there, I love the Antoine Smith interview so much that so I'm thinking about next year's record. Any two early predictions from your staff? We, we went through this, well, about a m- month ago, right?
2: I was about to say, I thought we did this one.
1: And didn't we, uh, you know, we were like, uh to rebuild a rebuild, and then we had him, <laughs> we all kind of had him as like, yeah, maybe they're bowl eligible. We were a little too too positive.
2: <laughs> Kyle's shaking. Look, I don't know. I, I remember saying four wins. I'm sticking with that.
3: I get that, like, I get why he's asking this question. I like, get, yeah, like, yeah, the feeling around the program is a lot better than it was four or five months ago. I don't know if it could have gotten worse than what it was four or five months ago, Forever. but it, the feeling is a lot better. So I get the optimism. It's still Players. a really significant rebuild. Um, I'm kind of with Dante at this point. I think I think four or five wins would be a pretty successful
4: season and
1: step in the right direction. Yeah. Caden, you feel the same way about four or five win team?
4: Yeah, I think kind of on the board with Dante and Kyle, five wins is probably their max. I see kind of three to five. Although, you know, Stan Drayton and then the entire coaching staff has brought in great energy throughout the spring. And I've been impressed by, you know, the revamp culture, it seems like there's just still a lack of talent on this roster that hasn't been fully revamped enough to go out there and win games next year.
2: Yeah. Look, smiles in the room only go so far, you know, like, like everyone is very happy. And as a reporter being in the facility, it's nice. It really is like coaches seem like they're not miserable. Players don't seem like they're miserable and that's great. But like, I like who, who is catching, you know, passes. I, I like, I don't know who's, who's running, you know, for 500 plus yards. I don't know who's blocking. I have no idea, you know, like, (laughs) no, like seriously, like all of these guys are mostly on notes. Like really. All
3: that being said, it's college football. It's not that complicated. If you find like some guy that's like that dude, you can put your entire offense around them. I've seen it a Very dozen terrible. times. Like Very you find a guy terrible. that's like just like a next level talent. Oh crap. Like if, if Darvon Hubbard is this that's like, ne- say. Yeah, is yeah. a phenomenal running back, then you're like, cool. We're going to give him the ball 28 times a game. And that's going to be our offense. Like I've seen that work before. I've seen it fail before too, but I've seen it work before. So who knows? Maybe all this stuff works out great. I do think they have two easy, like caked in wins Based upon this, and that's not even including the fact that, like Duke and Rutgers, I think, are going to be worse than they were last year. Like they're out of conference schedule isn't that hard. And I kind of just keep going back to like anything can happen in conference. Like they had no business beating Memphis last year, and they beat Memphis last year. So like yeah. things like that could happen. I just think that it might happen like once, and then they win two, three games outside of conference.
1: Let me ask you guys this question as as my own mailbag like follow up here. Okay, beyond and and Darvon Hubbard's a good one, Kyle. Beyond Hubbard, maybe the obvious one with Dewan Mathis on offense. Give me a guy on offense. If he has a really good season, you think, okay, maybe they could be a five win, maybe pressing like a six and six 500 team and maybe a guy on the other side of the ball on defense where they get a really good season out of him you're like all right here's a guy here's a guy who could carry him on offense other than mathis and hubbard and here's a guy who could carry him on defense where to kyle's point it's college football if a guy catches fire you can be like wow we can really kind of like let this guy carry us
3: Amon anderson yeah i, I think if Amon anderson has a good season where you look back and go, well wow, Amon anderson 950 yards somehow that He's kind of a cop out because that implies that math Mathis probably had a pretty solid season. But Amadi Anderson is the type of player that, like, skill set wise, you just get the ball in his hand and let him style on people. You don't necessarily need to throw downfield all that often. I I would say Amadi Anderson is the next factor.
2: Here's my underrated one would be like uh, DMR. Yeah. On offense, I think like if we're being honest, I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that he's like the second best like overall pass catcher that I assume to be like behind Jose Barbone, and like you know, Anderson, definitely more dynamic with the ball in his hands, but like, I don't know. I think DMR has a lot of potential and I think really like injuries have really just slowed him down. I think if he can stay on the field and actually like, I think this offense will use tight ends in the passing game more. I feel like we say that every year about temple and then it just like does not happen, but I I actually have more faith this year because I've, I've been to practice and I've seen them in 22 personnel and 21 personnel, like more often than not. So like, again, like, I'm hopeful for DMR. It seems like everyone is like kind of high on him. Again, they're not really crowning people, but we've heard his name a lot. Uh, So I, I think that's a sneaky one. If he goes for like, you know, 500 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, like, I think that that's a huge boon to this offense. Honestly,
3: real quick. The problem is I've seen, I just saw the best tight end in college football play for a three win team. I got his coaching staff fired. So, like, if Trey McBride can have 1,100 yards and Steve Adazio gets fired, I'm just not sure if a 500, 600-yard season from DMR is all of a sudden, like, they want a couple more games. I feel like that's a position that, like, you can have success and go, wow, he had 85 yards, and they scored seven points.
1: (laughs) Antoine Smith, by the way, very complimentary of uh, of Steve Adazio this
3: week. Well, Steve Adazio apparently very complimentary of Temple University.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Caden, well, maybe a guy on defense, a guy that could maybe carry him on on defense. If we say this guy had a really good year that they maybe – approach that 5-6 win territory?
4: I mean, it might sound like an easy answer, but I think if Keyshawn Paul, I mean, it matters so the rest of the defense has to step up as well, but if he repeats the same performance that he had last year and the way he's able to play on the outside, if he's able to lock down, you know, the best wide receivers in the American Athletic Conference, maybe Temple's defense, you know, has a chance of, no, not letting up as many points. So I think Keyshawn Paul would be the one guy that I expect to have the best season. I think you can argue maybe Temple's best defender overall at corner. So I think I'll roll with Paul. Um, another mailbag question here. Uh, The screen name is Iwa. Um,
1: with the positive initial reactions to coach Drayton and staff in hand, could you fine gentlemen take out your crystal ball and make guesses or predictions? He has guesses and then in parentheses predictions. As to how long it will be into the football program, one, gains back respectability, two, becomes competitive with its schedule, and three, challenges for a league title. So one and two are very vague. Uh, gains back respectability, we'll start with that. I, I, it depends on what you consider to be respectability. I'll say this. I think they have gained back respectability on the recruiting trail. It is one piece of the whole puzzle, but there's just more buzz on social media. They seem to be either – Maybe the previous staff got out to more schools and just was bad at, at getting it out there, but um, I think they have regained respectability in terms of getting former players into the building, um, going after the right recruiting targets. Now, again, they don't have a single twenty twenty three commitment in yet, but I think they are gaining back respectability in terms of like coaches in the local level are saying, "Oh, okay, this guy seems to get it." Stan Drayton reminds me of the the Matt Rolls, Jeff Collins, Al Golden's of the world. Um, that's what I would think of in terms of respectability. We just talked about the competitive with the schedule. I don't know what, what that means. Is that, you know, are we, are we talking about bowl eligible? I don't know if we'll have to kind of just pick a, you know, pick a, um, some sort of metric there for EWA with this question. If we were to randomly pick that, it becomes competitive with the schedule. How soon before this team becomes competitive with its schedule, bowl eligible? Are we talking year two? I mean it's, I think it's all, possible. These I ball, think, ball,
2: but. Yeah. I mean, I don't think year two is crazy as no, if they're going be. in the right direction after year Absolutely. one. Yeah. You know, if you end year one and you're like, all right, you know, they only won four games, but you know, they're a they're a spunky group of guys and they're really playing hard and there's a lot of big plays, they just can't quite close close games yet or something like that. Like, then yeah, like I think a year two, seven, eight win season and a bowl berth isn't out of the question for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: you need to.
3: You basically need to gauge, hey, if they're gonna win three, four games this year, is that the way they won three games in twenty twenty one where they got railroaded the last seven games of the year, or is it the way that they won two games in two thousand and thirteen where they lost four games on like the last play of the game and they were close and they were in it they just weren't they just didn't know how to win yet. If it's the latter, then yeah, I think twenty twenty three is a perfectly reasonable goal that say, hey, it's a bowl eligibility season if it's the former, then. We'll see how they recruit. The interesting part about the Matt Rule era was even when they sucked, that first recruiting class, they got they were in with some, like, big names, and they got some guys on that class that, like, led to, like, being the guys on the championship teams. So if is that going to happen this year? We'll see. I
1: would say next year is not a bad barometer. Yeah. Um, challenging for a league title, year three. I suppose who's in the league in three years? I don't know. I don't know like, <laughs> that's what
2: I was. That's what I was gonna say. Oh. I was like, I don't know who's gonna even be in the conference in three years. Yeah, no,
1: Cincy, um, no Houston, and no. UCL. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I mean, I think we've I think we've seen that like turnarounds
3: can happen in three or four years. Like you can get from like anywhere in college football to like the championship of your conference. You can in three to four years. Is it likely? Who knows? But like things like that happen all the time. There's a reason that people that Coaches only stay at programs for four or five years. is because they're able to turn them around in that quick amount of time. Mm-hmm. So if we're sitting here four years from now, it's 2026, Dante's in Uruguay or something, wherever he is at that point Uruguay, in his life. Why are
2: you sending me to Uruguay? If <laughs> he's
3: at that point in his life and he's just somehow like gotten the coconut to like connect to the Wi-Fi and now he's able to talk to us, then... <laughs> And we're still dealing with like a standard rating and turn around at this point. They're like, one way or the other, but we're going to know, like, is this the right thing or not by then? But I would say 2026.
1: Um, we got to, a couple other mailbag questions that we, we can get to here too. These are on the um, basketball side of things. Uh, again, we're going to be talking in a second more women's hoops and men's hoops, but we, uh, with these mailbag questions, we can delve a little bit into the men's team. Um, GLMPA had another Mailback question here Do you expect to see a new assistant sitting next to Aaron and any likely prospects? No, the only thing I can. Oh, what, what are you going to say here? Kyle? No, unless you're going further
3: down the bench.
1: Yes, Raheem Mapp would. Be I think the, there's a chance
3: Raheem Map goes to out, right? Yeah,
1: and again, do we have any firm information on that? No, now Raheem Mapp was mentioned as a distinct possibility on Dwayne Killing staff killings by the way is going to remain at at albany after an investigation there where you know that seemed a, a little dicey where he was uh, alleged to have hit a player uh seemed to be accidental personally I'm, I, I mean if they did the investigation and it was and it was it, it, an authentic investigation i'm happy for dk i was really really surprised to hear Anything along those lines. If you know Dwayne Killings, he's usually pretty above board with everything and really, really respects his players and his kids. So, um, if that investigation took its course the way it was supposed to, uh, you know, whatever happened, I hope he learns from it. But he's going to be remaining at, at at Albany, and I'm overall I think he's a pretty solid dude and could get things turned around up there. But he almost it seemed almost hired. Raheem Matt for a spot up there one of his three on the bench spots now again if Fran Dunphy goes to Raheem and says hey I want you on the bench in one of those three spots there that might be a reason for Raheem to leave Temple uh, from the ops role but that's what I think we're talking about there I uh, unless Dunphy gets a, a some sort of monster budget at LaSalle even so I can't see him going like to Monte Ross and going to a staff that that replaced him you know he's not going to or unless he was able to like double Chris Clark's salary. No, that I don't see any assist new assistant sitting next to, uh, to Aaron McKee there. Um, there is
3: no scenario in 2022 where La Salle's university can outbid Temple university.
1: Yeah, like
3: money-wise, yeah. like there's salary wise, they will never be able to be like, yep, we're just going to buy Jimmy Fennedy. Yeah. No. I think the bigger issue was, was Monty Ross going go to go LaSalle? Like, was he a candidate for that type of position? Like, Eventually, if Temple keeps having success, Monty Ross is going to be a candidate for like a CAA low A10 level job.
1: Yeah, yeah, so,
3: is what it is. This didn't uh, happen this cycle.
1: Yeah, the, the other mailbag question we got here is the screen name fan 35 Who are you hearing that could be realistic transfer targets? I, I, I still a bunch of names float in and out of the portal almost every single day. I, I don't comfortable saying anything discernible there are some names that are out there but I, I know i could tell you it's not a transfer guy i could tell you that they're still involved with rj Lewis jr uh, who sam cohen wrote about we've mentioned his name a few times on the pod now if you're an Scoop su- subscriber excuse me you can check out sam's story that he did a few weeks ago on him uh, i've been told that he might be coming in for an official visit at of april so again temple's still very much in the mix for him and again there's more playing time to offer now i was told by Someone else I trust that in his situation, his recruitment playing time is important to him. So if everybody stayed, you know, you'd have to go to him and say, well, Ty Strickland is leaving. You can maybe play five to 10, 15 minutes a game that the tie is vacating by entering the portal. Well, now Jeremiah Williams is gone. Now, now RJ is not necessarily a, a ball dominant guard, but he can shoot it, defends well, energetic guy. So they're, they're still very much in the mix with him. He could be visiting. Uh, like I said, the end of April, but the portal don't know yet. I think it's more than likely that you see them get um, maybe one guy that they're targeting, maybe out a second guy later, what we'll see. But I feel like we kind of still have to really zero in on that before we hear anything dependable, unless I've, unless I'm leaving something out here, guys. And to clarify here, I mean, one, one big, maybe one big right away and then another big down the line. But again, there, there are, you know, they could be looking for some some guard depth there again. If you're a temple fan, you know this stuff, but in just just in case you don't, Jake Forrester, uh, Sage Tolbert, Jeremiah Williams, Ty Strickland, Who am I leaving out? Uh, and Arashma Parks, all uh, gone in the in the portal. So obviously Jeremiah Williams, the one uh, the one that that hurts there. Uh, was a bit of a surprise. So uh, yeah, we'll keep tabs on that. Just don't feel comfortable throwing a, throwing a name at the wall there. But I don't know, before we get into, um, before we get into the Diane Richardson hire, um, the, the Fran Dunphy thing, what do you, what do you guys, you have any thoughts on it? You have any, any, any thoughts at all on him returning to to LaSalle and and getting back to college basketball? We've,
3: we've talked about how I should be able to make people's career decisions, right?
1: Yes. What are you doing
3: as a 73, 74 year old man going back to this? Like I really question that. Uh, from a LaSalle perspective, I'm really curious as to what his staff is because I would think there's probably somebody that's a little bit of like a coach-in-waiting, and he's just a bridge guy. Yeah. But, Caden, you look like you have something to say.
4: Yeah, I think it's a fine hire for where LaSalle is. They need some stability, but for Fran Dumphy, I don't see the long-term outlook kind of like Kyle. Like, how long can he keep coaching? How much sustainability can be there for LaSalle for the next five to six years? You might get another year or two out of him where he can get the program kind of back on track, but like Kyle said, you need that guy underneath him to take over and then elevate your program even more. Cause I don't know how much Fran you know, has left in the tank as a coach.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I, I, again, if you, if you follow Mike Jensen's work, I think he's been, he's been doing some really good reporting on this and it's sure. It's, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, Mike reported that essentially they, they went to Fran. It sounds like he turned him down, tried to get Matt Langel to take the job. Matt Langle gave him, uh, gave him a no and said, I'm, I'm staying at Colgate and it sounds like LaSalle's fan base is is happy about it. I think, you know, I mean, honestly, you know, good for Dump. I, I I know that sometimes people say, well, he feels like this sense of obligation, but I mean he clearly does. I mean, the guy could the guy could remain retired. Money's not an issue for him. He's he's got a nice house in Villanova, a nice house down in Avalon, as I understand it, could play golf, got better things to do at the age of 73. But the guy must really feel a sense. Of obligation to say, all right, I want things to be stable at my alma mater, so he's going to be a bridge guy. But yeah, I I don't know. I don't have any inside track as to who's going to be on his staff. We haven't heard anything, you know, discernibly, you know, substantial about Raheem Mapp. That's kind of more of an educated guess on our part. I mean, John Gallagher's name gets flown, uh gets floated out there. I would I would think if you're LaSalle, that, that coach in waiting, the dump successor has to be one of the guys that you're bringing in because they are, I don't know how many guys they have left on their roster at this point, but that is, you talk about a rebuild. I mean, uh, I mean, every, every program, well, not every, but a lot of programs are getting killed in the portal right now, which just lost two guys today. Um, And so when guys, and it's uh, kind of getting back to the previous mailbag question, the portal is a nutty, super competitive place right now. Uh, And so imagine if you're LaSalle like, where do you go? So I think Dumpf is really, truly taking this job out of a sense of obligation. I, I think the only thing, and this is really not to speak, we can go down the whole frame, Dumpfy rabbit hole. Yes, he never got, to, never got to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. That's the hole in his resume. There's no question about it if Dump were sitting here with us today. Like, yep, two NCAA tournament wins in 13 years. Wish I had one more. Didn't happen. The guy can still clearly coach. Got Temple back into the NCAA tournament a year uh, or, you know, in the second season after taking over for John Chaney, he can coach, he can X and O, but they have a long way to go in terms of getting players. I think it says more, you know, I tip my cap to him say, Hey, you really have a, a sense of obligation for your alma mater. That's great. Um, doesn't really matter that, that Lang will turn him down. I mean, I give him credit for saying, all right, I'm going to go back, but it does sound like he's going back and saying, if I'm going to go back, you're going to give me for the most part, you know, what I need here. So. Uh, I have two more thoughts on this. Yes.
3: One, I'll be very curious to see how Fran Dunphy recruits in the transporter world, because it's not something you had to deal with before. A right. uh, transporter was not a, a true thing when he was at Temple or Penn. Um, and then two... If you look at this from LaSalle perspective, if you're putting on yellow tinted glasses and you're saying, okay, from LaSalle perspective, this is best case scenario because they were never going to get a guy like Matt Lankle to leave a situation that he had built up to go to a complete rebuild like that again. So instead, you're basically, it was either find this, a relatively known commodity that happened to play here and makes you feel good on the inside, or you're going to roll your dice on another assistant that just wanted their first head coaching job. And it didn't work last time when you had arguably probably the most qualified local assistant for that job. Ashley Howard was coming off a national championship, had this reputation as this dominant recruiter, and he failed to fell fail directly on his face. So, was somebody else going to be better there? I don't know. I'll be very curious to see how this works out. Does Lasalle come to the Leacock Center this year, or is it next year?
1: Uh, no, I think it's. I think Temple goes there this year because that's the that's the game where Caleb Battle got hurt this year, and it was at the right Leicord center.
3: Gotcha. Yep. So, so, uh, so, Gola Center will be popping.
1: Yeah. Speaking of hoops, like I said, we promised to get to uh, talking about Temple's women's basketball hire. So they introduced Diane Richardson today as their new women's basketball coach. She's replacing Tanya Cardoza after 14 seasons. Uh, so she had a record of 80 and 66 at Towson uh, during her five-year tenure there. She got, uh, she got to school uh, 24 wins this past season, the program's second NIT appearance. Uh, also got them to their first NCAA tournament berth. That was back in 2019 after they won the CAA tournament. Um, so Javon Edmonds has has just joined us on the scoop. Hello, Javon. How are you? Hello, John. And so Javon and Caden were at uh, at her press conference today. Javon, I'll start with you. I mean, you're just your your general impressions of 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 the hire. I think we can all agree it was it was time to make a change there. And you noted in your story, you know, that that Jason Wingard and Arthur Johnson have not been afraid to make changes. They 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 moved on from Rod Carey. they moved on uh, from bake in, in the volleyball position. And now they moved on from, from Tanya Cardoza. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know, I'm feeling from the fan base and it's kind of cool, like a lot of interest in, in this hire, the whole conversation in general. I think that this fan base wants to see the program do well. Again, we'd be lying if we said that, you know, that they are, you know, that even when Don Staley was here, uh, they unfortunately were not packing the building and she was bound for a job uh, where they really truly truly are energized and care about women's basketball there and we know that she's doing great that's great things at South Carolina just won a national championship there uh, her second one there but seems to be a little bit of buzz around this hire some people saying like oh well okay she's she's 63 years old some people thought where are they going to hire young here try to hire a younger just out the WNBA type of player but She's got some recruiting ties in the DMV and she's got an interesting background. So I want to go to you first on this. you just your general impressions of the hire and, the, and, uh, and being around her and talking to her today.
5: Yeah. Uh, I mean, with her being from, well, being at Towson for those few years uh, in my neck of the woods, one thing about Diane Richardson is recruiting won't be a problem. Uh, she mentioned that she tried to get Mia Davis to go to uh, West Virginia when she was down there, struck out on that one but she's got the connections, she's got the ties, and she has an eye for talent. Uh, There's the reason why she's been around so much. Uh, American, George Washington, UMD, West Virginia, now Temple. Uh, She was at Riverdale Baptist where she coached Temple guard Jalen Holmes. Uh, So Dawn actually calls her the queen of the DMV, which is a name she's she's really earned. Um, And I think recruiting within the region has been one of the things that Arthur Johnson has looked for in his new coaching candidates. And with her being that established in the Mid-Atlantic, she's going to do a good job recruiting the whole East Coast in general. So uh, I-, I like to hire. She's bringing two staff members from Towson and the director of basketball operations. And then her associate head coach is applying to take over the job. But if they don't get it, they'll have another conversation about uh, also coming to Temple.
3: That's the part that concerns me. You'd like to see. You're bringing in your entire staff from a CAA level program. Like the, the one of the assistants she's bringing was the director of basketball operations at Towson six months ago. He stepped in to be the assistant coach when another assistant coach had to resign. He was the acting assistant coach who's now being brought to Philadelphia. That part concerns me is it's the same stuff that people complain about with Rod Carey that, Hey, you're just relying too much on the people that you know that you work with that, which I get. Uh, It's what you dealt with with Rod Carey, but it's at least something that
1: raises raises some flags. Fran Dunphy, too. You know, all this is Sean Trice, Matt Langell, who obviously Matt is the... One of them them really worked out.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Matt Langell really worked out, and he left after four years.
1: Yeah, I think we can agree that, you know, Sean Trice and Dave Duke know basketball, and Dave Duke helped him get some some pretty good players to to Temple, but people were looking for Dunphy to bring in maybe one different voice, different set of eyes. That's what...
3: The last part's is what concerns me where Javon said, hey, if the guy doesn't get a job at Towson, he'll probably come to Temple, too. I was hoping she would use that third bench spot to, hey, bring in somebody from the outset, bring in somebody that has more connections directly to this area, and because you can't do everything out of the DMV. She definitely made, she she acknowledged that, hey, we're going to recruit all these areas, but that gives you an opportunity to put somebody else on the bench. So I will be plugged into that, curious as to what happens with that third bench spot.
4: And what, what about your impressions for today? I definitely have like at least when I heard I had some reservations with the hire because you know of the competition level because of the age. But when you when you talk to her, she's a very energetic, bright person. You can tell her players are gonna like playing for her. And that's the one theme I've gotten from you know athletic director you know Arthur Johnson. It seems every coaching hire that he's made is a players coach type of hire. Someone's gonna rejuvenate a culture that needs some you know stability. Someone to go in there and gravitate towards the player and be able to connect with them. Obviously, I mean, I'm not inside, you know, Temple Women's basketball. I don't know what happened with Tonya Codarza and Fooley with all the players. And but obviously there might have been some disconnect there. And I think she's going to have the ability to come in. She talked about, you know, how it's much more important. Like life is more important than the X's. And O's. like her biggest thing is helping. I think one of her quotes, she talked about helping you know, her players, whether they want to become a coach or a doctor. You could tell she's a very personable person that wants to come in, you know, the Temple and help change this program, get back to, you know, where they used to be. So. From my you know, first impressions of just today, I mean, honestly, I like the high. I don't know enough about her as a coach on the court to say whether it's going to be successful. But from a player's perspective, I think they're going to like playing for her.
5: Also, on the X's and O's side, I think what's notable is she kind of like is Towson now. 24 wins is a team high. Uh, second NIT appearance ever. First ever NCAA tournament. But also just talking to her today and asking, you know how do you get last year's team away from what it was which was essentially not even essentially it was give Mia Davis the ball and that's it if Mia can't get it going then go into panic mode and you know it's like i've been watching the winning time show on hbo you know of course love my lakers and uh it's like mia davis was their kareem last year it was everyone else could get up and run but mia was get the ball and stop the offense and now diane has the the burden of responsibility i guess to be the jack mckinney and hey no five people get up and down the court and there's going to be a team system so i'll personally look forward to looking you know looking at that aspect of the team next season
1: so we're going to play a bit of audio here and this is acronyms the word i'm looking for right she talked about uh her habit system and H-A-B-I-T stands for stands for, uh, you know, part of, you know, her her coaching foundation. This is this is part of of her press conference today. And again, you can read Javon's story on the site. We'll have another story coming up uh, from Caden. Again, like today's press conference was what they do with, with other coaching hires. You know, uh, the president speaks. Jason Wingard speaks. Arthur Johnson, the athletic director speaks. Uh, and Diane spoke. Uh, breakout session there as well. So, But here's a part of her press conference day where she's talking about part of her coaching philosophy.
6: Well, I, I do have five values that I live by and, and, and our team will too, uh, and it's the it So the H is for honesty. We must be honest at all times. Um, the, the second one is A for accountability. Accountability is so very important. It's so very important that it helps to build. It helps to build the culture. And so accountability is very important. The B for brand, I am really a big brand person where we want to wear the Temple logo everywhere we go so that we represent this institution in the best way possible. The I for integrity, we must do things the right way and we will continue to work (laughs) and doing things the right way and representing. And the last is the T for teamwork. We cannot accomplish anything without being a team. And that's when
1: we pull on each other. All right, so again, you can, you can hear uh, more audio from the press conference uh, at elsecoop.com on our website. Javon, I was going to, and Caden, maybe you guys want to chime in here, but just anything else in general, what is, I mean, obviously Mia Davis is declaring for the WNBA draft. They, they just had a player hit the portal today. I mean, again, we didn't cover, what are you gonna
3: say, Kyle? I'm go with Tisha. What is with people that don't have eligibility declaring for drafts recently? You don't have to do that, but I yeah. feel like that's like a recent couple of years thing. People will post graphics like I'm declaring for the NFL draft. Yeah, yeah, you're a fifth year senior. Yeah. You're you're going to the draft. Like well, me no, and Davis was no, here forever.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, you you still ahead have ahead. you
2: still have to formally declare. No, you do not.
3: Yeah, if For no, football, you, do not. You, no, you do. do not. you have
2: to enter your name.
3: No, you do not. Not unless that's like a recent three or four year thing. Especially with the NBA, that is not a thing. Don't I don't know L- about the NBA. I don't know about the NBA. I have no idea about. I don't that. think that's the case for NFL. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead.
1: Well, what is what is she? And again, I mean, there's and we're talking about the portal where, where coaches can very quickly reshape their rosters. But what's what's Diane taking over right now? Because again, I mean, there you know we would hear things, and then again, one of the team's players put something out on on social media that was not very it did not paint Tanya Cardoza in a favorable light. So there's, this is a, obviously the team culture was fractured. Otherwise you're not making the, you're not making the head coaching change and it was time to move on after 14 years. But what is she, what is she taking on here, Javon?
5: So uh, I think the, the roster, if I can put on the coach Vaughn cap here, it's a lot <laughs> of quick guards that can like actually play a full 94 feet, both ways. Uh, she she told me that she's going to have a very early conversation uh with the strength and conditioning coach and and get the team in shape quickly um with Alexa Williamson transferring that big anchor down low that could possibly you know be a good trail man uh well trail woman I guess you'd call it uh on the fast break is gone but and, and probably their best post scorer now is gone but Still, everyone else can get up and down the court. I look at Destiny McFaul. When she was at West Catholic, she was known for scoring. Uh, Jasha Clinton has a high motor. Tiara East is a killer in the half court and is even better in transition. Uh, Anaya Gordine had two triple doubles last season. Another speedster from St. Francis. Uh, we'll, we'll see what Karanda Pereira's status is because she'll be the, the trailing big that you watch out for to hit a jumper more so than diving hard uh, to the lane. Uh, Jalen Holmes is going to have a lot to do with mentoring this roster. uh, That was, like I said, the player that actually played for Diane at at, uh, Riverdale Baptist. So it's going to be a lot of speed. I actually believe her when she says that because of the roster construction, a lot of small guards and a lot of people that can actually run.
1: Just, chat. Yeah, Javon, that was great stuff. Kyle just dropped in the chat and a statement from the NFL regarding eligibility requirements. So Kyle is still stuck on the, <laughs> declaring for the
2: declaring for the draft thing. But we're, we're, right. we're, talking, about, we're talking about basketball, though, right? NBA also the same. Oh, right. Kyle, what do you want them to write? <laughs> no, you, you're giving career advice. Let's hear it. Give well, well hold on, Dante. I'm
5: about to help Dante out. So in the NBA, it's safe to assume it's the same thing for the WNBA. A player must declare his eligibility sixty days before the draft. That's if
3: they're underclassmen. However, for a Javon. they are automatically,
5: automatically, automatically you got, eligible.
3: Yeah, keep reading the rest of it. it yeah. It, it,
5: it,
6: it, yeah. So, if so. you are
3: out of eligibility, you are yeah. automatically eligible for these drafts. I don't. I mean, whatever. It's it's just a very like recent thing. Five years ago, you didn't see that. Nobody posted like, yep, declaring for the draft because it was just assumed because you are you're out of eligibility.
5: It's a rite of passage, you know? It's like typing that message is like, I did it. I made it. I, I went through those hard years of college, and I get to move on. To In the, the end, end
3: whatever makes the players happy, I am there fine with. Coach Kyle. I'm a player's coach.
1: Kyle, uh, who, who turned his who turned six or seven backward as he was getting
4: into it. And
1: making- it was
3: making me look like I had even bigger bags under my eyes than I did because I was getting the overhead light shadow for our, you know, our only fans that does the, uh, the video of this.
1: Just, we, we never do video of the podcast.
3: Al <laughs> scoop plus.
1: house scoop plus. Uh, anyway, um, thanks to all of you for, for tuning in once again this week. Thanks to Javon for hopping on and, and, uh, dropping some women's basketball knowledge there. We'll have more coverage for you in the coming weeks. Uh, hopefully we'll have some more recruiting news for you next week. And, uh, thanks again for the mailbag questions and we will talk to you soon.